0: All right, it's so good to see you guys. Thank you for being here as we wrap up the Big Give. We love this time of year, love this series. It's been incredible to see how God is using you guys to make a difference. Really, the Big Give is all about just a celebration of generosity, of really wanting to make a difference in the world. We started the whole series with this question and that I'm sure you've asked. I have asked it many times. What difference can I really make? When we look at all the problems of our world today, issues that like, feels unresolvable, just daunting, right? How do we really begin to make a difference? Like, What difference can your family really make? What, what difference can even one church make? But what's beautiful as we began to look at this, we started week one that Jesus challenges us to be salt and light. Two things that have a powerful influence and impact in the environment in which they are put. And he's, this is Jesus' way of saying, I want you to make a difference. And I don't want you just personally, but you corporately, as you come together to make a difference, both both, and. And really, what, we're, what this series is all about is this big give is in a day, we're basically saying in a day when people are talking all about the problems of our world, we're deciding, hey, we're gonna be a part of the solution. <laughs> we wanna make a difference. Like, that's a whole different approach. And it's powerful to see how God has been using that. And as I said, salt and light is what he's called us to do. Though, how do we do that? Last week, we saw that the Apostle Paul over in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where Paul is mentoring this young pastor of Ephesus, Timothy, and he, he says, I want you to challenge the people in your church. I want you to challenge them to stop trusting in their stuff. Don't trust in riches, but in God who richly provides all things for your enjoyment. So this is where we begin. And last week, I had some really good news for you that maybe you had never thought about before. You're rich. <laughs> in, in light of the global economy, in this present world, to use the words of the Apostle Paul, that... If you make more than $3,000 a year, I know you're going, how could anybody live on $3,000 a year? Over half of the world does. If you make more than that, over half of the world, the majority of the world would say, you're richer than us. And if you make the median income of the U.S., $45,760, you're in the top 1.9% richest people on the planet. And for many of us, we're north of that, right? So it is just one of those things that even if you don't feel like you're rich, even if you don't realize that you are rich in this present world, you are rich. And it's wonderful to know, yeah, way to go. You made it. You're rich. <laughs> but here's the question. Why did God make you rich? Why did God give you so many resources? This is a really important question to be asking. Why did he make you rich? Well, the answer is that God is testing you. He's testing me. He's trying to get us to um, use and leverage the resources, the opportunities, the the, the, the money, the the things that he's put us in charge of. How are we going to use those things? Are we going to do them the way that he's called us to? Or are we gonna use the default method that the rest of the world has kind of used for generations and generations? And here's the challenge that Timothy, pardon me, Paul gives to Timothy, Timothy chapter six, verse Timothy six, starting with verse 17. Paul says it this way, he says, command, this isn't a suggestion, he's saying, I want you to command those who are rich, rich where, like among their friend group? Because I'm not rich among my friend group. No, rich in this present world, not to be arrogant or to put their, let's say the highlighted words together, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. If you put your, you try to derive your security, try to derive your your, your sense of confidence in this world, your safety in this world from things, he says it's always going to move on you. It's uncertain. He says, but to put their Hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And here's the new part we're going to add on this week as we look at verse 18. He says, Command them, them the rich, those who are in that rich category, command them to do good and uh, to be rich in good deeds and to be, let's read these highlighted words together, and to be generous and willing to share. Now, if you have ever raised a toddler, anybody here been around a toddler, raised one, maybe a grandparent or an aunt and uncle to a toddler, okay, isn't it true? This is one of the things you teach your little kids. You need to share. If, if, if another child comes in the room, and you've got two toys, and they've got none, you need to share, right? This is simply Paul saying, that doesn't go away when we become adults, we tend, we tend to still say, I, I, I worked hard for this, this is my stuff, I, this is, I call the shots on this. Hey, wait a minute, hands off, this is mine, right? And he's saying, and if we approach our stuff and our life like that, we will miss the blessing of God. You need to understand that giving is a part of the deal of God's blessing. And now you may be saying, well, well, I do give, you know, about average wait pump the brakes there don't give average you know why because you haven't been blessed average you you and I all of us we in this country we've been blessed way above average in other words we have been blessed to be a blessing maybe you never thought about like that before but the God blesses us so that we can be a blessing now back in the first century at the, time, at the time when Jesus was teaching, when his ministry was taking place, this was a huge pervasive philosophy or understanding that people had. And it was false understanding, but they had this understanding that they all believed in, they all kind of bought into, and it was this, that God favors the rich. They're his favorites. You know why? Because look how much they have. Look how blessed they are. Compared to the rest of us, look how much more they have. And the crazy thing is that these rich people don't know they're rich. And these rich people don't think, they don't feel rich. And that happens for a lot of different reasons. But what's interesting is that Jesus comes along at this time when people thought the rich people are really close to God and everybody else is not. And he teaches something like this in Luke 12, 48. He says, everyone, everyone who has been, let's say it together, has been given much. Okay. So Jesus is here saying, whatever you have, you need to stop thinking about like it's earned or that it's yours or you have dibs on it, that it's a gift. This is a really important place to start. It is that you've been given much, even your education, your opportunities, your career. Your And I understand you work hard for all those things, but you couldn't have even had the opportunity to work hard if it hadn't been offered to you. At some point, somewhere, God intervened and he made and allowed that to be possible. Even the faculties within yourself to be able to work hard is a gift. Everyone who has been given much, he says, much will be demanded, right? So Jesus comes along, he says, rich people aren't more loved, rich people are more responsible. Rich people are more accountable. This is so incredibly important that we don't forget this in 2022 that those of us who have more than average, we need to be reminded that that is for a reason, that there is a responsibility and accountability that goes with that. But the temptation of our world, and there's a pressure, I feel it, you feel it, your, your kids, my kids will feel it, everybody feels it. The temptation is to, as income goes up, that we will ramp up our lifestyle commensurate increased with our income in other words that we begin to live with zero margin financially and what jesus taught and later paul is echoing the words of jesus he's saying this is how you you are really bad at being a rich person like because this is not how you are good at being rich this is how you're being really good at being stressed out and anxiety ridden over your finances all the time because you don't have anything left But this is the pervasive message of our culture today is that whatever comes to me must be for me and I'm gonna consume it all. There's no margin. And our culture programs us, our world constantly with advertisements and commercials and et cetera, et cetera, and even the pressures through social media that if anything extra comes to us, We're sort of programmed to ask the question, how can I spend that on me? How can I use that and leverage that to make Will happier, to have what Will doesn't currently have? (laughs) How can I use that for me? And this is where Paul is trying to warn through Timothy. He's going, tell those people, the people who have more than they need. He says, I want you to not just tell them, I want you to command them. Command them to ask Before it's gone, like here's a great question that we need to all be asking. How can I leverage some of this that God has given me as a gift for God's kingdom as only a rich person could in a generous and big way that other people couldn't do? to do this and to ask this question before we are sucked into the cultural vortex of, it's all about me. It's all for me and I should use it on me. And that is the pervasive message of our culture. Hey, it's yours. You worked hard for it. Hey, and, and not false, that you, you worked hard for it, you did. That's great. But to be reminded, it is a gift from God. And maybe, just maybe, God had something else in mind for that that he brought to you, that he wants to bless you through your generosity of helping with what he's up to and asking that question first. This is such an important question. How can I leverage some of what I've been given for the kingdom of God as only a rich person could? Now, I want to turn our attention to an incredible parable where Jesus really unpacks this test or this temptation that every one of us, every rich person, every person who has more than they need, will ultimately face at some point, okay? It's an incredible parable. Jesus was the master storyteller, but over in Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 16, Jesus begins the story like this. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded, and let's say it together, an abundant harvest What does that mean? That means he has more than he needs. It's abundant. Like, he's got a bunch of it, right? He thought to himself. So he's sitting there asking the question that everybody who gets more than they need asks. At some point, they ask it, maybe not in these exact words, but what shall I do? What am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with the extra? I have no place to store, let's say it together, store my crops notice his assumption is that they're his okay this is all mine look what i have look what i've got then he said this is what i'll do i will tear down my barns and let's say it together and build bigger ones like these aren't big enough i'm going to build bigger and there will there i will store my surplus grain, like this is mine. Again, I'm gonna assume this is mine. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now isn't that, I know this is like first century Palestine, but that's the American dream, isn't it? To have so much money, you don't have to work anymore. You can do whatever you want. Hey, well, phone's for you. I don't care. I ain't taking it, right? You know, like, you don't have to take, you don't have to do anything you don't want to. I think I'll fish all day tomorrow. I think I'll play golf, or I'll go ride my mountain bike, or I'm gonna do whatever I want. We kind of look at that and go, wow, that's really living. Like, that's it. That's real life. Jesus' warning against that. That is a false way to live. That's a false, it will never deliver on the promise that it is that it is giving to you. And so he goes on, uh, pardon me, uh, he, he tells us, I'm gonna eat, drink, and be merry. In, in other words, what he's showing us here, and Jesus is really telling us through the story, is that this is the rich person's dilemma. <laughs> this is the rich person's dilemma. I'm blessed with more than I need. I'm gonna assume it's all mine. Like, I have all that I need. I, I'm gonna just consume it all. So here's what I need, I need newer, I need bigger, I need more, and and isn't it true, there is always something new and something better and something bigger and something shinier to have, to wear, to own, to drive, always, always. We live in a world where it's just a perpetual new things to, to, to want, and let me just say this, that if this world was all that there was, that would be a perfectly fine solution to the problem, I've got more than I need, what am I gonna do with it? I'm gonna spend it all on me. That would be a perfectly sane and rational solution to the problem if there wasn't a special relationship between my generosity now and laying up treasure in heaven eternally which Jesus says there is a direct correlation between what we give now towards the Lord and what ultimately and eternally we will have hoped that we, we would have we're going to wish we had done more in this direction now I love how Jesus um, carries on first of all let me just say here's Jesus basically showing us how to fail the rich test you want to know how to fail the rich test Believe it is all for you. Believe it is all for me. That's how you fail. Now our story is gonna shift a little bit. So the main character and the camera is moving from the farmer, his his, his crops and his barns and all that, now it's gonna move to God himself. This is a really fascinating moment in this parable where Jesus is having God talk to the rich guy. Like, what would you say, God? What would be your response to this kind of management of things on earth? And in verse 20, Jesus unpacks for us in no uncertain terms this. And you would, let's read the highlighted words together. He says, but God said to him, you Let's say it a little bit louder. God said to him, You, you fool. Now, we have to ask before we go any further. Why is God calling the rich guy a fool? That's a really great question to ask. Is it because he's rich? Think about that for a minute. He's a farmer. He couldn't get rich unless God blessed him, right? Farmers, like more than almost anybody, are completely reliant upon God and the weather, God controlling weather, and all kinds of things. And it's, it's really interesting here, God was not calling the rich guy a fool because he was rich. He was calling him a fool because he was selfish, because his only questions were about himself. His only questions were about this life right here, right now, the temporal, and not thinking eternal, not thinking beyond what's happening right now. And in verse 20, it's really interesting, God goes on to share a little bit of his omniscience, his all-knowingness, right? He says, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, God asks a question, then who will get what you have prepared for who? For yourself. You were only thinking about yourself. This night, imagine for a moment, you and I are the farmer, and God said to you, this night, this is your last day. Tonight, it's over. You're done on this earth. And who's going to get what you have prepared for yourself? Who's going to get what you have laid up for yourself? And the answer is somebody else. Not because he's generous, but because he's dead, right? He's gone. He's not here anymore. Now, Jesus clearly taught everybody lives forever somewhere. He talks about heaven and hell. This is a whole different message that I'm going to have to get into another time. But he, he, uh, but he says... Now, the way we manage what we have is part of the preparation for that life then. It doesn't earn us salvation. Only Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection does that. It's us trusting that. But it is us learning how to now take everything else we have been given, as Jesus would say, who has given much, much is demanded. Now we leverage that for him, for his kingdom. And then Jesus, this is so beautiful, He gives us basically the moral to the story. He's like, okay, just in case you missed it, let me lay it out for you super clear so you don't miss it. And this is what he says. This is how it will be with whoever, whoever, whoever stores up things for who? For themselves, but is not rich towards God. Yes. So this guy wasn't rich towards God, so it was a lose-lose. He lost everything here on earth, and he had laid up no- nothing in heaven. Jesus is saying, don't live like that. You will regret that. That is not a way to live. That is not the way to live life as I intended and designed you to live. This is not truly living. This is not true life. This is not abundant life. It is a, a life that is missing the point of why you're here and it's interesting that the apostle paul basically in verse 19 he ends when he's he's challenging uh young timothy to challenge these people who have more than they need with the exact same type of wording you remember he says command those who are rich to be rich in good deeds to share to be generous right and then he goes on to say this in verse 19. He says, In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. He's talking about heaven there. After this age, after this season on this earth, there is an eternal life that's coming. He goes, So that they may take hold of life that is truly life. I want you to lay up for yourself treasure eternally. And in doing so, you will lay hold of, like, really living, now, true, abundant life that is full of deep, soul-level satisfaction. And it will connect you with God like little else will in this life. It's beautiful. And this is exactly what Jesus taught. Going back to Luke chapter 12, a little later, after he tells the parable about the rich farmer... Here's what Jesus says in verse 34. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart, your desires, your longings, your your wants will be always tied to your treasure. Now this is beautiful because Jesus is showing us, let me share with you a little dynamic about the way that you were created that you are always, you're always going to have, your heart will always be attached to your treasure. Where you put your money, your effort, your energy, your stuff, your focus, your heart will be there. You, you will care about that. You're gonna, you're gonna, your wants will be wrapped up in that. But he's also showing us if your wants are in the wrong place, all you have to do is transfer your treasure to something else and it will move your heart over to it. But Jesus is saying something deeper about this too to us. I, I believe Jesus is, is showing, and he, he echoes this in other places, like he would say, I'm not concerned about getting your money or your stuff, so don't be worried about that. I, I, that is not what he's after. God, you know, God doesn't need your money. Here's what Jesus would say, but I do want your heart. I want the deepest, yearnings and longings and wants and desires of your soul I, that is what I want and Jesus knows if he doesn't get your treasure he'll never get your heart if we don't give a portion of what we have back to God we don't, show, we don't care enough to give some of that treasure away to the things of God to the kingdom of God our heart will never be attached to it and we will miss life that is truly life as Paul would say it He says, I want you to learn to live like that. You see, being rich towards God actually draws us closer to God. As I said, like little else in this life will. It is powerful. And and, and you may be saying, well, why is that? Why would that be that way? Because I think letting go of our treasure, letting go of our stuff might be the hardest thing for most of us to let go of. It's one of the last things that people give over to God, that will surrender to God. And once they do, it's incredible the domino effect spiritually that can begin to happen in your life of God being able to work and use you in ways you never thought possible. So how do we pass this rich test? How do we get past this? How do we begin to learn to do this? By simply learning to predecide to give. we got to decide ahead of time and what I mean by pre-decide is that most people the tendency is to be just a spontaneous giver we just give when we feel like it when we feel moved emotionally most people are just emotional spontaneous givers which is not a horrible thing it's just never going to reach the level of intentionality that God intended for our giving to have our generosity to have in other words if we just give when we're spontaneously moved God will always get the leftovers. God will always get the leftovers. And we must pre-decide or God will get the leftovers. Now, I want you to think about this for just a minute, um, about leftovers, because all of us in our uh, refrigerators, if we went home, I bet all of us, unless you're just really diligent to get rid of uh, leftovers, all of us have some little containers in the fridge that have some leftovers in them. Now imagine you have somebody come to your house that like somebody you really love, you, you, you would want to honor this person, you respect them, and they, they come in and you go, hey, are you hungry? Yes, I'm actually really hungry. When you go to the fridge and you're like, oh, here's a, a week old, you know, Brussels sprouts had been in this little container. You, you ever crack that open after a week? Whoa! I'm not saying it doesn't taste good, but right when it's opened up, or refried beans or like broccoli or something like that, wow, you wouldn't want to serve that to anybody, right? You wouldn't even want to smell it yourself. But that's what happens is that God gets the leftovers many times when we just wait and we spontaneously give. In other words, what we do is we wind up giving him what is left over after all the intentional uh, kind of giving or paying out that happens with our money and that also that's a product of us living with no margin at all that we spend all that we make and it requires us to really begin to ask the question how do we begin to stop giving God the leftovers but begin to be intentional about this so how much do I give? Now, just ask the question. A lot of people ask that question. Like, where do I start? How, how, how much should I give? And I want to take, point your attention to Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, where uh, Jesus is literally having this conversation with The Pharisees, who were extremely religious. I mean, they were the most religious people in all of the world, really, and they were a part of Judaism, but they were, and one of the things that they were very legalistic about was giving their money. And here's Jesus talking about giving the tithe, and we'll talk more about that in just a minute. He, first of all, he calls them hypocrites. You only have an attention getter at the beginning of your public speech, just do that. Okay, everybody, hypocrites, you know, like That gets their attention. Hypocrites, for you are careful to, let's say it together, to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, Jesus says, yes, but do not neglect the more important things like justice. Don't turn your head away when people are being mistreated, when things that are going down that are not right, that are incorrect, they are shady. You need to work to let your life be a light so that you move away from that and and you work against that. I want you to show mercy. I don't want you to be judgmental and, and condemning to other people when they're struggling, when they're going through hard times. I want you to show mercy and compassion. Jesus says, be compassionate as your Father in heaven is compassionate. And finally, faith. I don't want you to lean your hope on your stuff, but on God who richly provides all things for your enjoyment. I want you to learn how to do these things while you give. Don't give out of uh, judgmental legalism, like, well, you know, I tithe, so back up, right? You're like, I'm somebody really special. He's saying, listen, it ought to be done in humility. It ought to be done with a servant's heart, and it ought to be done in secret, not something we broadcast. So, Jesus is showing us, yes, I want you to tithe. A tithe is simply 10% of what God has provided, what he provides. Now, you may be wondering, why would we do that? Because that is To to put it in its context, scripturally, it is offering him an act of worship. It is worshiping God. This is a part of our worship, to give God back part of what uh, he has blessed us with. Now, why would we do that? Because on the cross, Jesus gave us 100% of himself for our salvation. He didn't give us 10%. He gave us 100%. And now he asks us, listen, I want you to give a tithe because that tithe is teaching you to put God first because you live in a world, and I live in a world, that constantly is inundating us to say, no, put yourself first. But we're warned if you put yourself first, you are destined to a life of misery. It is a misery because you've just made yourself into an idol as long as I can make me happy then that's what I'm going to make every bit of my resources go to. You've just made it impossible for you ever to be very happy for very long. And he's showing us this is how you really live. Now, giving a tithe teaches us to put God first. To put God first. Now, I want to share with you a great passage from Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23 that tells us this. It says... It says, here we go, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God, let's say it together, put God first in your lives. The purpose of tithing, to give God the first 10% off of whatever he blesses, that, that requires us. God says, I wanna make sure you're living with margin. You can't live without margin and do this, it's impossible. Now I wanna just share with you a, a personal story that radically changed my life and my family's life personally. This was way back, I was very little back in the 1970s. I'm gonna date myself here, I was really little. My dad was working as a a sign manufacturer in Austin, Texas at Duplex Sign Company. Right down, uh, right before you go over the Congress Bridge, Uh, on the right-hand side is kind of right by where the Austin American Statesman is now, but the the sign company's gone now. But he was working there back in the early 1970s, and um, he was at church and heard a message, something like I'm giving you today, and was challenged to begin to tithe, to put God first. And he and my mom prayed about it, and their parents on both sides neither had ever tithed, had never been regular percentage givers, Uh, towards the things of God so they were like we don't really even know how to get started we're gonna just start with this and so my dad told me he said it was a huge step of faith now I remember this was back in the early 70s he said our, our tie check was $200 a month and he goes but it was a huge stretch we were like I don't know how we're gonna make it he said we gave the first check prayed about it took the step of obedience I'm like okay God we really believe this is what you're telling us to do that next week he gets a raise at work of $500 a month increase. And he says, nobody can tell me that wasn't God. He confirmed it in so many ways. And that was just the beginning. And then later, God blessed him in his work. He was made supervisor and was uh, given a uh, pay raise and and just blessed and blessed. And then a few years after that, God put it on my, my mom and dad's heart to start their own sign company in Austin, Texas called Lewis Signs. And um, and it was a step of faith and it was something that they continued to ask God to help them day in, day out, like, we're gonna keep putting you first, God. And yeah, here's a picture back just a few years ago. All the signs on this building, and trust me, you got a really good deal on these, um, Brazos Fellowship, um, were from Lewis Signs in Austin, Texas. And I love this picture because it is a culmination. My dad passed away in 2002 from cancer, my younger brother John took over the company. And this is such a beautiful culmination of God and what he, this is not me, it's not, and if John were here, he would say it's not me, this has been God through us following the obedience of my dad. He showed us how to put God first in many ways. But this was one of the biggest that caused a whole domino row of, of, of faith steps for him where he had to come to a place, and maybe you're in that place today where you have to say, God, I will trust you in spite of my fear. I'm gonna take a step forward. But everything I have seen God do in my life through faith stretching, pastoring this church and let me tell you there's been a series of huge faith stretching steps we had to take to get to where we are today and God has shown up over and over. I trace all of that back to my daddy and his willingness to step out when all he knew was I can trust God. I really think God's going to come through and God did come through over and over and over again and I know I'm speaking to some mamas and some daddies some grandparents, some aunts and uncles, some people in this room, you don't even realize how big of an impact and influence your life would have. You are truly the light of the world, as Jesus would say, the salt of the earth, that if you would be willing to step out, let God use you, it will influence and impact. Not only will it draw you closer to God like nothing else, it will impact your kids. There will be a ripple effect long after you're gone from this earth. As I said, my daddy passed away in 2002. But the decisions he made for God still impact me and my brother every day of our lives and our family and our children and our grandchildren soon. (laughs) And it's just beautiful that this could be your story too. Don't settle for giving God the leftovers. Would you be willing to put him first? And really it comes down to this question, are you willing to reduce your lifestyle so that you'll have more margin to give? Because if we're not willing to do that, none of what I'm talking about is even possible. Living like this or like that is stressing you out. You already know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It's making you anxious. It's debilitating. There's no peace in that. It takes discipline, but God blesses it to learn how to live. We're going to live on less than we make. Because as Paul would say, that's how you become good at being rich. This is what really good rich people in the eyes of God do. <laughs> they don't consume it all. No, don't assume it's all for me. But to begin to ask the question, when more comes to you, God, how would you have me use that for your glory? And that's what this big give is all about. It's a celebration of generosity, as I said. It's us saying to the community, everybody matters to God, whether God matters to them or not, because that's how Jesus loved people. And we have picked three organizations that we've been giving to. If you've not had an opportunity to give, the big give, I encourage you to do that today. Aggieland, Pregnancy Outreach, Hope Gathering, Unbound. But I also want to challenge you today, you could do a one-time gift to help us bless these incredible organizations. But also, I wanna challenge you to be a percentage, reoccurring, premeditated, predecided giver going forward because this is an incredible discipleship step of faith that I know that will draw you closer to God and will bless and impact the next generation. But it requires faith beyond where some of us have been willing to tread it's scary and you've probably heard this before but all growth is outside your comfort zone and this might be the area where God's saying it's time come on you can jump you remember the little kid maybe when you were a little kid or maybe you've done this for your life, get them to jump into the pool I'm gonna catch you daddy'll catch you God's standing there saying come on I'll catch you This this will be good for you. you'll learn you can trust me it's gonna be good it's gonna be awesome it will, it will open up doors for your faith to grow in ways that you couldn't unless you trust me with this. Some of you maybe have felt stuck for years spiritually, and this is maybe one of the linchpins. God's saying, if you would be just willing to give that to me, it would be powerful. It would change everything. Here's the application prayer. I'm asking you to pray with me. Simply saying, God, I will stop giving you the leftovers. I predecide today to put you first in my finances. And maybe you've never prayed this before. Some of you starting a relationship with with God, here's how it begins. Jesus, forgive me and be my leader, my Lord, right now. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, Visit us at brazzesfellowship.com. That's brazzesfellowship.com.